Welcome to Superintendent Radio Network. I'm Guy Cipriano. Joining us is Jim Nedro, the Director of Agronomy at the Club at Indian Creek in Elkhorn, Nebraska. Jim is going to discuss how he and his team produce high-quality playing conditions at a high-volume 27-hole facility. Jim is the first superintendent we're profiling in 2020 in our continuing series with Bear. We're excited to partner with Bear to tell the story about how superintendents like Jim provide spectacular conditions. In the January issue of Golf Course Industry, you can read about how Bear's stress guard portfolio is helping the club at Indian Creek flourish. As a company, Bear is helping its customers thrive by providing technical expertise and innovative solutions to maximize turf quality and make superintendents' jobs easier. To learn more about how Stress Guard helps redefine ordinary, visit environmentalscience.bear.us backslash Stress Guard. Now on to our conversation with Jim. Well, Jim, it's great to have you on the podcast. Thanks for taking some time to join us. Uh, we're recording this in mid-January, and the first thing I want to ask you is, what is it like outside in Elkhorn, Nebraska right now? It is cold. It's sunny and clear and cold. It is currently 6 degrees, so which is, you know, it's 8, 9, or 10 degrees warmer than it was when we woke up this morning, so I guess that's a positive. Uh, but it looks like tomorrow everything kind of turns um, here in the next few days. We're back up into what I would call kind of our average, uh, you know, low 30s and 20s, so it'll it'll get better. So when it gets down to six degrees, what are some things you and your crew do? So today we're inside right now. Uh, we, we've got a lot of signage on the golf course that we'll do. Uh, we redo all that, do all that stuff in-house, you know, tear down ball washers, work on equipment, that type of stuff. Um, and as the weather warms up here towards the end of the week, we'll get back out and do um, some tree removal. And uh, that'll probably take up the rest of the week, maybe even into next week. Wrap that up, and then our mechanic is out um, He's having some uh, some uh, surgery on his leg, so we'll probably have to pick up a little bit of the slack on the equipment side of things here, which will be kind of fun for us. Uh, so we'll get to that next week and the week after. And, I mean, gosh, by the time we get to February 20th, we've kind of got to be ready to go. Uh, we've been, oh, I would say mid-March, typically when we kind of start to get things ready. We've been out on the course as early as March 4th a few years back, but, um, you know, in all reality, we're probably 45 days from, from needing to be at least ready. So that's where we're at. I learned a lot of things when I spoke with you for the magazine article version of this project. And one of the things that I didn't realize is that Omaha gets really, really hot in the summer. When you get to like mid July or late August, how bad are you going to be wishing for six degree weather? That's kind of the joke, right? And I'm sure a lot of people deal with it kind of in the transition zone, but we complain about the cold now, and six months from now we'll be praying for it, and we complain about the heat in July, and right now we're praying for it. Like, we're really never happy. I guess the beauty of that is we never get bored, right? Like, you, you experience one thing, and you know two or three or four months from now, from that point, you're going to experience something different. That's kind of what I like about the seasons, right? I know that... that um there's going to be some change and we're going to experience the opposite of what we're experiencing now. But I mean, I don't know. I would almost take cold over the heat and humidity of July. I, um, maybe almost every time. 
the humidity is what gets us. I can handle the heat, but it's it's the humidity that settles in uh, occasionally here that is pretty uh, daunting. Yeah, so in all seriousness, there's a lot to be happy about. The club at Indian Creek is a fascinating place. Describe where you work to our listeners in your in your own words. So the club at Indian Creek is a it's a daily fee facility. It's a 27 hole facility. Um, 18 holes uh, were constructed in 1991, and then an additional nine holes uh, were const- was constructed in um, 1997, if I remember correctly. And you know it was originally built for development, right? They were going to build the golf course to promote the housing development around it. And that's, it was kind of laid out in that, in that style. Um, not so much, uh, you see courses, a lot of those courses where the houses and the golf course kind of intersect and they run together. That's not our setup here. The houses are on the perimeter, which is nice. The golf course is the center of the area. Um, and, but you could tell when the golf courses were originally built, I mean, you could, you could tell that it was built, to push development as opposed to being built to be, you know, a really nice layout, a nice facility. And for years and years, it was, it was a, a daily fee facility that really focused on volume, pump as many rounds as we can through and, and give everybody a nice experience, but let's just get as many golfers through as we can. And, and, um, and then it would have been about, gosh, at this point now, almost 11 years ago now, uh, we sat down and decided at that point to um, to kind of shift the, the focus or shift our um, our mo and the owners decided that they wanted the golf course to be the showpiece for the company so that we have, we have uh, feed yards and some ranches and land development and a bunch of other holdings and it's hard for the owners to kind of show that to the public what the company stands for and they thought what better place than Indian Creek to use as the showpiece. So as we're working uh, with customers and investors and, you know, whoever they might be working with, they want to show what the company stands for. We've become that kind of brand for the company. And so that's been a lot of fun. We went from a daily fee facility that wanted to pump as many rounds through to a daily fee facility that still wants to, you know, to have a, you know, a fairly high volume operation, but we shifted the focus on to, um, quality of product versus quantity of rounds and that um, instigated a a three-year renovation kind of a full-scale renovation of the golf course and and uh, 10 11 and 12 is when that took place and what we've got now is something I think we're really proud of it's a it's a good golf course Um, it's well maintained it's the, the design and the renovation was really well thought out and it's something we're really proud of and our goal now is really to compete with the highest of the uh, the highest level facilities in the Midwest, and that's kind of what we're trying to do. Each year, we try and get a little bit better and a little bit better, and and you know, kind of climbing that uh, that ladder. Jim, how awesome is it when you're working at a solid golf course that's well run, and your owners come to you and say, "We really want to make this a showcase." How exciting was that within the agronomy department when that shift occurred? Uh, I was pretty new to the position. I worked here for a couple of years as an assistant, but it just recently became superintendent. So there was, it was daunting in the sense that, okay, I'm just trying to get my feet on the ground, figure out how to lead a team, um, figure out how to manage turf on my own. And by the way, we're going to, we're going to 
you know, renovate. Now you have to grow this golf course in and oversee, you know, multi-phase renovation. So there was, um, I probably didn't uh, enjoy it or soak in the, uh, the opportunity as much as I maybe would now, just because I was, to be honest, kind of in over my head. Um, I was trying to figure out a lot of, of different aspects of the industry all in, in one, uh, you know, kind of short time frame. But, you know, looking back on it now and, and having gone through the renovation and having the resources we have now, and uh, it's, I'm super blessed. I couldn't ask for um, a much better scenario. We were given some pretty um, high standards and we're expected to achieve at a pretty high level, but we're resourced to do that. And that's, I think that's probably what I appreciate the most is the expectations and the resources almost always align. And I don't know that that's the case in a lot of places. I think a lot of places, whether it's the golf industry or whatever the industry is, you're given an expectation. And in most cases, that expectation is you're expected to, you know, exceed the tools and the resources you're given. And here, um, we rarely have to do that. Uh, if, if we're given something that we need to, to accomplish, uh, I'm usually given the resources to accomplish it, um, whether that's personnel or uh, equipment or time or access to the facility. Uh, so that that is um, something that we're super blessed to have that. I certainly don't take it for granted. So we could probably do a whole podcast series on the following question. Indian Creek does over 40,000 rounds a year. You mentioned that you have some substantial resources, but how does an agronomy department provide high-end conditions when there's such a high volume of play? I think it comes down to turf health, right? So that's what we focus on. You know, if, if we can keep the turf healthy, um, we can handle the traffic stress uh, that we see. And uh, it ultimately, I guess to me, like it, it comes down to water management. With as, with as many rounds and many carts as we have on the golf course and the foot traffic we have, if we manage our, 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 our water correctly um, and we're not wet so, you know, that we don't, we don't deal with, you know, compaction from, from traffic during wet periods or overwatering, you know, we're not too dry to where we, we come back in the next day and you've got traffic and tracks and, and um, wilt everywhere, you can handle that, those busy days. So I guess that's that's kind of the foundation of what we do is uh, we really, really manage water. Um, that's the focus, right? That That's the absolute focus. And I think that's probably the biggest key. Um, other than that, I mean, you know, fertility is important, obviously. It just, I guess, bottom line is keeping the turf healthy, right? Keeping it to work and handle that stress, bounce back from that stress, recover from that stress. Uh, we do a pretty good job of managing traffic. We have 27 holes, so those 40,000 rounds are distributed between 27 holes, and we've got a lot of leeway here in, in our department to work with the pro shop on, um, you know, trafficking golf to different nines or rotating golf through the golf course in different ways, um, restricting carts if we need to. You know, that could be whether it's, it's too wet or too dry. We've had years where... Um, you know, it's been really dry, and we've and we've restricted cart use. Or if it's really wet, we restrict cart use. We do a lot of things um, from that standpoint that benefit the golf course. The the real beauty out here is the golf. The, the condition of the golf course trumps everything. So, um, 
we don't have to concede turf health uh, to to meet you know a golf event's expectations or an outing's expectations. Everything is done and decided here based on what's best for the golf course, which is extremely important. Uh, we don't ever feel like we're compromising something on the golf course, uh, and and our customers know that, and I think they respect that and they they see the results of that. So. Our customers that are here time and time again are repeat customers. You know, they may have to deal with, uh, you know, uh, uh, an inconvenience here or there, but more often than not, the conditions are really good, and they they accept that and they're okay with it. We alluded to it at the beginning of the podcast. Omaha can be stifling in the summer. Uh, with that in mind, how do you go about setting up spray schedules? and plant health applications, and what are some tactics you use for that? Most of it is just, you know, what I've learned from being on the property for the time I have been at the, it'll be 15 years now that I've been on, on this property in, in one capacity or another. So just over time, you know, I, I've built my program over time. And so I kind of zero base it, right? Like I, like I do with our budget, the we, get into October, November, early order period time, and I sit down and I basically, um, you know, I've got the notes from last year's program, but I kind of set those aside and I start to build my program with, with hypothetical dates. So typically, you know, first application for, um, you know, a, a first fungicide application on fairways is going to be kind of around that late May, early June. So I kind of start there and then I build that, spray program on a calendar basis um, going forward just to st- based on historically what I know we're going to face. Now, I don't necessarily follow that. If I go back and look at the dates I put in the calendar as I'm building the program, compare those to the dates where the applications were actually made and the rates and, and the products, you know, there's usually some variance, but um, that's that's how I build it. I, I rotate my rotations, uh, my chemical rotations are fairly um, uh, similar year to year, I'll use this pro this product here. You know, this time frame, this product, this time frame, and then I'll they'll rotate this in and rotate that in. So that's kind of become um, something that's fairly routine. Uh, you know, I'll mix in as new chemistries come on the market. You know, I might mix some of those in, but we know we kind of know what we're going to face from June first to uh, you know through the end of gray leaf spot season at the end of fall we kind of know what we're going to hit and we know when pythium season is going to rear its head and and um you know it's really for us with the ryegrass fairways it's it's brown patch pythium gray leaf spot those are the three that we focus on um and you know everything else kind of gets taken care of within the programs that that battle those three and um from a timing standpoint they're kind of pretty easy to know when we're in the uh the throws of those particular seasons. You know, a few years ago, you, you resorted to a new product on your fairways. How did that work out for you? And you're still using it. And what type of thought goes into adding something new, like the stress guard formulation you turned to a few years ago? I said, we're, we're ryegrass fairways in the Midwest, right? And um, so Pythium is, is from, let's just say, Typically, third week of June until second, third week of August. Pythium is our main focus, and there aren't a ton of products on the market 
for Pythium. And we're kind of running this issue where we wanted to treat. I didn't want to, I didn't want to, you know, just consistently roll out the same technologies over and over and over again. I also didn't necessarily want to use what I call the heavy hitter products um, on what I would consider like the shoulder seasons of, of Pythium season. But I needed something that could kind of help me, you know, as we were approaching the heavy season, so Mirage popped up. Um, that was kind of when it was coming out, and I noticed that it was labeled for Pythium, and I um, thought, you know, hey, this will be a unique product to kind of throw in there with our with our phosphite program and work our way into our into our um, kind of the the heavy part of our Pythium season. So we applied Mirage. Um, and didn't didn't really expect to see. I just put it down for Pythium uh, application. I didn't I didn't really think stress guard in any sense. And that you know, when we applied it, and I noticed something right. Like we came back, and man, the turf just looked different. Seemed different. Uh, I chalked it up to the pigment at first, right? It's just the green. It's, it's the green dye. And five days later, it seemed healthier, and seven days later, it seemed healthier. And so at this point, it wasn't the dye, right? Because it had either been mowed off or degraded by the sun. So it's like, all right, we're on to something here. What's going on? And so we we started to mess around with Mirage a little bit, mainly for the stress guard at, uh, kind of uh, attribute. And again, we saw the same thing. I couldn't really pinpoint what it was, right? Like if I was to, to give you like a metric on what, what I thought the plant was, was doing better or how I thought it was performing better. I don't really have that. I just know that it, that it is. It, it looks healthier. It feels healthier. It handles stress better. So in this chase to find a better Pythium program, we stumbled across Stress Guard on our fairways, and we've kind of implemented it ever since. Um, we've used it on the greens for quite a while. Uh, since we regressed the greens in 9, 10, and 11, we've used the Stress Guard on the greens, but... Um, that what we've seen it do on the ryegrass fairways has really been kind of remarkable. Not only do you have a lot of daily play on the golf course, you have a significant event that comes in July where your turf really has to be performing at high levels. Uh, tell our listeners about the Pinnacle Bank Championship and what you do to get ready for that and how uh, exciting it is to host the Corn Ferry Tour event each year. Sure. Um, so yeah, it would have been, this is kind of in the works for a few years prior. So we'll be, let's see, this will be our fourth year. We host this year, I think it's July 27th through August 2nd, so we shifted back a couple weeks. Typically, we were two weeks earlier in the schedule. But, um, you know, it, we, we kind of decided that we were going to take this on, so let's say five, six years ago. We were pretty excited. Um, it was it was neat to host something of that scale in Omaha and kind of help bring that event back to Omaha. Uh, we we didn't really know what to expect when we signed on, but um you know as we as we got ready you know that year or so ahead of time, start to work with the, the tour agronomists and and meeting with tour officials and and rules officials, we quickly realized you know there's a big difference between what we would consider tournament golf for say a, a state am or uh, a state invitational and what we need to consider tournament ready for the corn fairy tour uh, you know the metrics involved the measurements the firmness the dryness i don't you know you can't get a place dry enough you know for those guys and so um year one was 
it was a it was a riot, man. It was an absolute blast. It was a lot of work, long hours, but it was really really fun. Um, and and the tour the tour worked with us, and my crew just knocked it out of the park. And I, I thought what we did in year one was I had this goal, right? I wanted to be the best the best stop on tour. That was the goal. I figured, but it, uh, in reality, I thought, all right, this is probably a four or five or six or seven year plan. No one does this in year one. And man, we gave it a run in year one. I thought we were really, really good. Our conditions, our, our, our um, surfaces were really good. Um, I thought for a crew that would have been, would have done this for three or four or five years and we were able to accomplish that in year one. Uh, and that, that was just, we had guys that bought in. I have a, a team of, of assistants and superintendents under me that are um, phenomenal. And they were all in, and it was a riot. Uh, it's been, um, you know, we, we've been able to help the community uh, through this event. We've been able to help, you know, build the resumes of our team. It's helped with team engagement. You know, we've got our seasonal crew, uh, it's really easy to motivate them when they see everything starting to get, you know, the build out. And, um, the course gets busy kind of that last third, second to third week of June, all through July and August. And, um, yeah, I, I can't, it, it's just, it's fun. It almost like I, if the tournament, the tournament's over and, and they pack up and two or three weeks later, you can't tell it was here. And it's just like, shoot, now what are we going to do? Um, because it's just really all-consuming and so much fun. How does the presence of that tournament affect your spray schedule and the other inputs that you put into the golf course? So there's there's a little bit more preventative. It kind of gets a little funky in there. So, you know, like I said, we kind of build we build our program on the calendar, right? But but we start that that program when the disease determines we we need to do it. So, you know, what would be ideal is you get into advance week, which is a week before the tournament, let's say Friday of advance week, um, you know, it would be great as if that, if, if from a calendar timing standpoint, you were set to spray again, right on that Friday. But what is, what ends up happening sometimes is, you know, you're following your, your, your uh, reapplication timing and shoot, we need to apply on this date. Well, gosh, you know, it's, it's, advance week Friday and we need to apply before the tournament that's seven days away so it's like do you, do you apply on that on that Friday before advance week and then again on Friday of advance week because you want to be protected during tournament week like you don't we don't take any chances like we are going to apply a fungicide application wall you know on, on all of our surfaces the Friday of advance week regardless of what we've done prior and so there have been some times where we've probably had to come in and, you know, instead of spraying on a 21-day, we go in on a 17 or a 14-day where it would be nice to, to work that out so that we don't have to we don't have to come in on that, you know, 14 or 17-day spray. But um, sometimes you have to, and, and we're always going to go in protected. Uh, typically, that's kind of where we fall on our heavy hitters, our strobies or our stress guards. Um, there's always... Um, you know, what I would call a heavy hitter for Pythium that goes down that Friday before tournament week so that we know, you know, all the way through tournament week, we're kind of right smack in the middle of our most protected time frame. You know, so that's that's been the growth regulators is kind of the one oddball that is a little bit fluid. You know, it's we'll apply 
let's just say we apply on Thursday of advance week and and it's hot. We follow, we typically follow a growing degradient model on our growth regulators. Um, and in, in the summer when it's 95, 96 degrees and humidity is high and the heat index is high, those growing degree days, they, they accumulate quickly. So, um, you know, we may be applying growth regulators all the way up through practice round Tuesday or Pro-Am Wednesday. Um, and we may go, we may go Friday, we may go Tuesday, we, you know, we kind of stack those. So that's the one thing that's kind of varied from year to year is the growth regulator timing or the fungicide application timing really stayed the same. What type of industry support do you receive for a corn ferry tour event and who are some people that come by during the week to, to help you and your team? Well, I don't know what events typically get. We, we pounded the pavement pretty good. Um, you know, I wanted to make the experience really unique for the crew and for our volunteers. I wanted to make sure that anybody that that was here on our team or that volunteered for our, our event had a really good time. Um, you know, whether that was through the food that we were provided them or the swag we provided them, whatever that was. So we made a lot of calls and talked to a lot of people. So we've got what I would consider really good um, buy-in from from our um, industry partners. We a lot of a lot of companies will come in and they'll uh, they'll either pay for for lunch and dinner or they'll come in and prepare for lunch and dinner. I know like um, uh, Cy Goff and Zach Riker with Bayer will provide. They'll come in and they'll do some grilling. We've had uniforms and hats and and other kind of um, entertainment aspects of of things paid for. It's been really good. We try and make it work through a while. You know anybody who sponsors us, uh, you know I I try and get them out here you know if, if we've got a company that sponsors something or helps us provide um, a unique experience here during tournament week I try and get them to come out and bring some customers so I really want to make it interactive right it's not just don't just cut us a check and help us pay for something you know get out here experience the event bring your clients out here let them experience the event we try and turn it into a um, kind of a fun little party it gets a little chaotic sometimes because this person brings their friend and their friend brings their friend and and all of a sudden now you've got, you know, 30, 40 people that have no association with the event down here and eating the food and, and drinking the drinks and doing all that. But you know what? That's that's kind of what also makes it really unique. So the buy-in has been really what I would consider through the roof. It's a little bit different of the craziness that you thought you were going to encounter when you started college. When you, you enrolled at the University of Nebraska, you thought you were going to become a involved in a different type of science, right? So I grew up small town, Nebraska, and uh, worked on a horse farm growing up. And I've got an uncle that's a vet and an aunt that is a vet. So I was I was set on um, uh, becoming a veterinarian, right? So I, was, I enrolled in Lincoln uh, and as an animal science major. Kind of had this plan. I was going to go to school there. Then I was going to move on to Kansas State, sort of vet school there and you know, who knows, moved to South Dakota and worked for my uncle or whatever the plan was going to be. And I enjoyed my first first year of animal science. It kind of dawned on me how, how uh, a unique transition into, you know, that um, side of kind of animal welfare and everything. But I enjoyed it and uh, moved back to Norfolk for the summer and, and got a job at the golf course uh, and fell in love with it. Uh, Ryan Reifert was my boss there. And he kind of took me under his wing. It wasn't a big crew, so we kind of had to learn a lot of different aspects of what we were doing or what was going on out there. And 
he kind of took to me and, and showed me what was going on, and I really kind of fell in love with it. Wasn't sure when I left that summer if that's what I was if, if I was going to switch majors, but it was kind of through that first semester of my second year, my sophomore year, that I decided I did want to switch and switch from animal science over to um, you know turf grass science, and and now I'm a superintendent. So um, I do you know I I think back sometimes. I, my uncle still lives up in South Dakota, and I go up there sometimes and I help him, or I go out to the ranches here with the with the owners of the course and we'll brand and we'll do a bunch of that stuff and you know there's an aspect of that that I certainly um, miss I like being around animals specifically larger animals I like being on the farm I like you know I like being out in the country um, working animals like that but um, but I don't ever look back and think shoot I should have I should have you know stayed the course I, I really enjoy what I do I think I'm good at what I do and uh, I have the opportunity to lead people, and if I was to be a veterinarian, you know, most of those days you're out, especially a large animal, you're out, you're out on the farm, you're out on the ranches, you're by yourself, and you know, I would, I would very much miss the, the camaraderie and leadership aspect of what, what I do now. So instead of saving animals, you spend your work life trying to save playing surfaces from stressful yeah. conditions. How rewarding is it, though, especially when you throw in the people aspect of your job? I think that's it, right? Like, I, especially now, as as I've gotten more into my career and feel a lot more comfortable with what's going out going on out on the golf course. I know the facility really well, so I don't necessarily stress the things I stressed five or six or seven years ago uh, from a turf health standpoint. That's not to say it's easy, but I just know kind of what to worry about and what not to worry about, and how to how to fix the things that I do worry about. So. For me, for me, the reward now is all on the people side of things. I mean, that's um, that's what it's all about, right? Like, if if all I was able to do was grow turf grass for the rest of my life, I think I'd get pretty bored, and and it would be pretty unfulfilling. It's the team side of things that really is what um, keeps me engaged in the industry, for sure. And uh, with my job here and how my role has changed here. Um, I, I probably have more of like a CEO role here on the golf course now than I do like a, a turf manager. I'm obviously still in the middle of all the, those decisions, but um, you know, most of my day is spent, uh, you know, dealing with the people, whether it's the customers or, or the tournament committee or uh, employees, you know, that's, and, and that's what I love. That's, the most fulfilling and engaging part of what I do. If I finding a way to make taking care of a golf course engaging for somebody, to find a way to make weeding in a bunker bank something that somebody gets excited to go do, or you know having the, the firmest, fastest greens on the corn ferry tour, finding a way to, to to get a 16-year-old to be like, you know what, this is important. Maybe not because I care about what the turf's like, but because I care about the team or I care about my boss or I care about the owners or I care about our reputation or our brand. That's the fun part. Um, so I wouldn't get that as a veterinarian. I'd be talking to cows all day and that would kind of get a, I don't know how, I don't know how <laughs> engaging that would be. Last question here, Jim, it's obviously not going to be six degrees all year 
long. It's going to get warm. People are going to come out and play golf. But in your mind, what would you consider a successful 2020 for you and your department? I want to combat what Mother Nature throws our way better than any other facility. So I, I don't necessarily measure our success by, hey, we had the best this or the best that. I want to I want to look at the whole the whole summer as a whole, right? Everything that was thrown our way, budget budget issues, weather issues, uh, rounds volume, all that stuff. And I want to say that I think we managed those stresses better than anybody else managed their stresses. So that's always our goal. There's a lot of things, you know. Again, it's it's more of like you step back in September, October, and you kind of look at, look at things, and you know your gut tells you, and, and there are some metrics certainly that tell us how we did. But being able to step back in, in September and say, I thought I thought we managed everything that was thrown our way extremely well. Um, you know, the, the the energy of the crew is still good in September. Morale still high in September. People are excited to still be there after we've made it through the grind. If we can do that, I think it's it's a success. Um, if we can take some young kids who have maybe never had a job before, teach them how to work, push them out of their comfort zone a little bit, and then at the end of the year when they're ready to go and they're worn out and they're getting back to school, they stop in the office and say, I can't wait till next year. That's the type of stuff um, that you know we kind of gauge our success on. If we do all that, the rounds are going to take care of themselves. The revenue is going to take care of themselves because if we're doing all that, the golf course is probably in pretty darn good shape relative to everybody else. And if we're in good shape, people are going to be here. So that stuff, I'll kind of let that stuff take care of itself. We'll focus on the people and the experience and, and responding to the stress. Well, Jim, it was great to catch up with you again. Thank you so much for joining the podcast. But more importantly, thanks for everything you do for your team at Indian Creek and for the industry. You're truly a great ambassador for uh, not only your facility, but everybody in golf course maintenance. So we appreciate all that. You bet, man. I, I appreciate this opportunity. It's a ton of fun. My first, my first podcast, so this is, this is cool. I'm sure you're going to get many more. You were, you were awesome. Thank you very much.